Hello. Hi there. I hope you can hear <laughs> us in this sort of experiment. Yeah. Welcome to Stay at Home Kindred. Yes. The show you need <laughs> if you're self-isolating or in quarantine. Yes. And with me, Peter, I'm Carlos, and um, we're going to start with some messages first. Yeah, so um, I should say we're flying blind without tech ghouls tonight. Although I understand they are in the ether there to help us. So if there are any problems, let us know in the chat. It's really nice to see lots of people in as well. Hello, everyone is here already. Um, so to tell you a little bit about what we're going to do today, um, we're going to start sort of just saying hi to people. Um, I should say this is an interactive session. So if you want to send any messages, if you want to ask any questions about the stuff we're talking about or raise any other things, we will do our best to answer it. Um, it's also worth saying that uh, keen eyes amongst you will notice that a lot of you look like you're the same color <clears throat> on, uh, on the stream because of interesting CSS excitement. So uh, basically uh, for those who are watching live, uh, you're probably having a dual chat. So we have the chat on the screen and next to it is your Twitch chat in which you're typing. Um, and probably your Twitch chat looks okay and looks beautiful, but we're using a widget that does not, um, that assigns a, a sa the same color to everybody. And um, if you want to have your own color, you just check it, change it in your in your settings. I have not been able to find how to change it on my mobile app, but Peter has managed to change it on his computer. So for those watching us on YouTube, it's less of an issue for you. Yeah. But next time, join us live so you can chat and be there. Also, reminder, uh, keep it clean-ish, <laughs> I guess. Um, and if you're listening to this on a podcast by any weird reason, just ignore the last minute. Yeah. <laughs> what I said has no bearing on But we will endeavor to read out who's asked the question. So if you're listening to us on the podcast, yeah. then you will at least have some sense of what's going on. Yeah. So in terms of what we're going to do, uh, we're going to have uh, generally uh, sort of chat as we go if anyone asks anything. But we're also going to talk about V5. So if you like rules, I mean system rules rather than real world rules, yeah. then we've got the stream <laughs> for you. Um, we're going to talk a bit about how we found V5 and how we've interacted with it over the three, or sorry, over the, over the chronicles that we've run so far and the chronicles that we're planning to run. Um, we're also, there's, um, I'm glad that you love rules. I love rules too. Yay. Before and I know that that is sarcasm, Bex. I know that it is sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we're also going to um, do the giveaway for the Herald's Ooh. Coin um, a little bit later on as well, which we will be doing via the medium of dice, ah, which one of us will be running to grab any second now. Yeah, because we um, don't have an at hand and we don't have a tech tool that helps us with um, that. <laughs> and we'll also be talking about some of the things that we're going to be doing over the coming weeks, because obviously these are strange times that we live in. Um, and, you know, uh, we want to kind of do some fun stuff during those times and get you guys involved if you would like in playing games with us. Oh, so yeah, we'll talk about how we what those plans are and how you can get involved with that towards the end of the stream as well. And there's an opportunity if you've got questions about that to ask it here with us live. Mm. Um, so one thing for those of you who like a chance to think about questions, 
Although we're gonna talk a lot about rules that we've adapted and changed and why we've done that and so on and so forth, there is a rule that we don't like that we haven't yet come up with a solution that we're happy with, that we're probably gonna talk about a bit right near the end. Um, but if you've got ideas about it, it'd be great if you could fire them into the chat and we can discuss it as we go. Mm -hmm. So essentially, um, in, in V5, you have various options within combat and the advanced rules, and one of them is the kind of all-out attack option, which as it stands is crap over. It's very bad. <laughs> it's the worst. It's so. In, in general, uh, combat rules in V5 are pretty cool, and they have made a, an effort to, to still give it that sense of power that comes with being kindred. If you are like powerful kindred that is going to be fighting other people. And, uh, but they have realized that their system used to be very slow to handle combat. Uh, so they have the, the three and out rule. Basically, you do three rounds, and if you think things are going one particular direction, mm -hmm. you can narrate the, the rest of the thing. Now, one of the options that is presented is the all-out attack, in which for a, an, an, a ludicrous amount of effort, you gain a plus one to the damage you do on your roll. Yeah. With a lot of drawbacks. Oh, it's terrible. So essentially, yeah, you, even if you win the roll, you will still take damage, lots of damage, and you will only do plus one damage. It's rubbish. Yeah. So if you as an ST or wannabe ST have looked at that rule and thought, I could do better, let us know in the chat, and we'll talk about our ideas a little bit later on. Um, so. Oh. Oh, already? No, well, oh, during, no, we did, we, during... Should we, no, we, you want to do, you... I, I, So, I see that Kirsty is on chat. Yeah. Hi, Kirsty. Uh, so, one of our friends, Kirsty, that has been with us until recently here in, in Bristol when we were uh, doing our, our stream, and, and she is, well, very much our resident assistant tech ghoul or tech ghoul trade me, um, she brought us Struwafel liquor, mm. which is a delight. So, if you would like for us during the giveaway to have a little bit of Struwafel liquor commemorating our friend, all you have to do is like with two, yeah, two a people, two send a a winky emoji, yeah. Then, oh, there's one. Oh, oh no, there's, there's the two. other. Oh, fantastic. That's it. Fantastic. We'll thank, have thank, some yeah. waffle liquor for in the, in the yeah. interval when we do the giveaway. So, yeah. for Kirsty. <laughs> 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 so. Okay, so when we started out, back when um, Tidus were kicking this all off, back in the day, uh, with Blood on the Thames, we ran V5 very much as it was in the book. Now it's worth saying that um, one of the good things in the book is that they say right from the outset, obviously all the rules you can take or leave as you want. They give various options of how to play. But nevertheless, we wanted to try it as close to the core experience as we could get. So not only did we use the, the main rules as written, but we also used things like the Chronicle Tenets as written um, to get that experience. And then when we came to Blood on the Tamases, we thought, well, now we've played it a little bit, let's kind of 
change things we don't like a bit or alter things that we think could be better. Obviously all of these changes are just their opinions. You may disagree or not. I know in, as they've sort of come up in the Chronicle, people have seemed to like them in chat. So I thought it might be worth talking about them kind of as a lump together here. Um, and also you as a player cast, if there are things that you, and obviously I can see Phil um, and Lane and Bex are all in the chat. So if you as players also have opinions, now is the time to unleash them. <laughs> so basically, um, when, when Peter mentioned that we were doing Blood in the Thames rules as written kind of approach, uh, it's because we originally, when we created our characters, Jim, Moses, Benjamin, and Katya, we used the, the 20th anniversary edition, the V20 edition. And um, it is, it, it was a jump. We were, we were get going into a new edition, a new system, mm. new rules, things that we didn't understand. Uh, Titus read the whole book and said that he was happy with, with what he had read. Uh, then we, we read it as well. And he said that he wanted to go with rules as written. And that's the way uh, Blood, on the uh, Blood on the Thames was run. But with regards of the Chronicle Tenants, uh, the, 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 the chronicle approach, the type of chronicle, there are three examples in the book and we were given the choice to have a look at them and see what felt the best, but all of us leaned more, let's play the humanist chronicle, let's go with the, the sort of default um, yeah. chronicle tenants. I see in the chat um, that Elthanes has excellent taste. Yes, he does. Because he's saying that he likes the weird chronicle tenets in Blood and the Tamases. And uh, something's worth talking about because when you, when you set your chronicle tenets, you're, you're basically establishing what the themes are and what the kind of the morality of your society is in that game and where you want the tensions in play to be. So in Blood on the Thames beforehand, that ran with humanist chronicle tenets. And that's like your classic vampire approach. And it means that it's very much about people trying to hold on to their kind of internal goodness, fighting against the beast. And a low humanity vampire will be, I think, what we consider to be low humanity, you know, as well. So those two things kind of run together and dovetail really nicely. I do want to talk about the, the Blood and the Tamasese tenants because I like them too. Yeah. And they obviously have a different feel because it becomes much more about people who are dutiful or loyal or stick to have kind of personal integrity rather than people who are kind or considerate or thoughtful of other human beings. Um, and, a, and, and it also impacts on what a low humanity vampire might look like in that world versus a, a humanist chronicle. So in something like Blood on the Tamases, a low humanity vampire might actually be a reasonably nice person. It's just they're not someone who respects their oath or the status quo, or duty, or their blood. And I, I think it comes to the, the, the age-old question, what do you consider to be human? Mm. What makes us human? What do you think it's humane? So I, I saw one of the comments from, from Ames, from Ames Unbalanced, that he, run, he ran into a, a few minor uh, difficulties when running Witter Chronicle Tenants. And, and we would tend to agree. Uh, there was a lot of discussion of, around the Chronicle Tenants and, and what would they mean. In the example of Blood and the Tamases, uh, given the Chronicle Tenants and the convictions of Theodore, he is a guy who is very, very unlikely to go down on humanity because his, his, his personal convictions 
are really close to the tenant. Mm. However, well, you have all seen it, he's arguably one of the least humane and most, most monstrous of characters when things get out of hand. So what does it really mean to be human? Um, one of the approaches I was telling Peter is you would have your chronicle tenants, but then you would have default things that would always give you stains, that would always be considered transgressions to your humanity and to be human. And there are some that we are using in Blood and the Tamancies, like uh, ghouling someone or embracing someone, those kinds of actions. But you can perfectly broaden it up, talk to your players during um, session zero and say, you know what, I'm going to play with very weird chronicle tenants um, around, I don't know, like a, a medieval Hun invasion of Europe. Uh, but basic stuff like burning down a village and killing people will, will give you stains. Even if you're if it's not a if you're not breaking a chronicle tenant, you will you will degenerate uh, in some manner if you if you are depraved, and then you talk about it with your players. Yeah, because there is this weird thing where you could, in theory, have chronicle tenants that are about other things, and then your players could say we're going to run around being like a standard D and D party and just murdering murder hobos, yeah, and having a great time, and have no comeback for that, and that might be fine, but also it might not be fine, and I think that's worth thinking about. I certainly. Think having at least one chronicle tenet that allows you to tie back to sort of humanity as we would think of it in a classical sense is is a good idea. Yeah, and right now in the chat uh, we have people uh, jumping in and saying that some of them uh, like um, the chronicle tenets much better than what they used to like the hmm. what were the paths uh, of enlightenment, humanity, typhoon. Yeah. Uh, there was too many. Uh, and, uh, and Chronicle Tenants feel more tailored to your story. The paths of enlightenment seem more tailored to your character. Mm. So people who are say, seeing the merit of the different paths, especially if those who are religious in bent, like the path of, yeah. of heaven for, for Chronicles in the Dark Ages or, or the like, uh, I would say that the paths of enlightenment on previous editions for those who have played them constitute amazing material for you to generate the convictions of your character because that is the path your character is walking. But the world's out there and the world is very well fixed, so to speak. Um, uh, it, it is talked and discussed in the book also. You can have a, a same campaign chronicle going across eras and start maybe in the Dark Ages with a set of chronicle tenants, but then the world changes, and then by the industrial revolution era, chronicle tenants are slightly or very different, and then modern times as well should have a, a different bent. You can always have like may, maybe one regular chronicle tenant across all eras because that's what you think is the 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 thing you want to explore, but but it's always tailored to the story. So when you're doing the Chronicle Tenants, think about the story you want to tell. The humanist chronic, uh, Chronicle Tenants that we had on Blood on the Thames forced us to act and, and, to, and to consider the beast, the hunger, interactions, and they, they, it drove uh, uh, the, 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 the behavior of players. Yeah, it made the Chronicle much more about... <laughs> A kind of intimate night-to-night -night kind of survival personal struggle, and personal yeah. struggle. Whereas the the Tamases ones, 
are more about how you, uh, about kind of the, the conflict between making your bloodline look good and you look good, and also serving one of many lords that you have above you that might have conflicting kind of calls upon your um, service. And also the third one, which is about serve not the beast, because the idea that it's okay to do terrible things, providing you are in control of your actions. Yeah. But if you lose control of yourself, or you are losing your humanity, that's not okay. And that's kind of the way that I tie that back to classical humanity. But you mentioned convictions, which I feel is a neat segue yeah. into one of the other house rules that we did around convictions. So for those of you who don't know, who don't really know V5 that well, convictions are the personal beliefs your character has that enable you to hold on to your humanity when you do things that might be bad, you know? So if your character has a belief, for example, that cats are sacred and you, I don't know, beat up someone in order to protect a cat, then you can employ your conviction to avoid stains in a humanist chronicle. But one of the things that bugged me about that a little bit was that they felt a bit in the background. Like if I have my conviction, that's like having a permanent magical shield against stains for certain actions and I can run around and do them. And I really, one of the things I love about V5 is this idea that a vampire no longer has its own soul really. And it has to anchor its humanity in other people. Um, and that those people of course are vulnerable. And that if they change, it can hurt the vampire. And I really like the idea that if you use your conviction to protect yourself from a stain, it's then exhausted. And you have to refresh it by returning to the human that you've anchored this idea in and spending a bit of time with them, whether that's creepily from a distance or whether that is actually having a chat or whatever. And, the, and it's, um, <clears throat> it's not something that is anywhere in the rules. Uh, I, I, I assume they're saying this type of waving in yeah. front of the camera. Oh yeah. That it's so, it's like we have evolved to be like <laughs> away from the camera to avoid that. Um, <clears throat> but going back to the, the convictions, it is both uh, a good element of, ga of gameplay and, uh, and of mechanics, but also a great story element. But what happens when you never get the chance because the Chronicle does not allow it to get in touch with, with one of your touchstones? or something that, that can very easily happen, your kindred is so involved in what's going on that they distance themselves from the world. And then they're using this conviction, this conviction set um, to shield themselves from stains. But what are they actually doing to maintain their humanity? So this, this house rule feels very nice because Whenever you use your conviction, it in, immediately drives the player to say, how can I squeeze a scene with my touchstone so I can refresh it? How can I develop, how can I develop my story further? There was a question, I think, for Bex, which said, given that touchstones have to be mortal, I wonder what you guys think about the inherent need to replace them. So my personal feeling is, because I think in the book as written, it's almost like, it's, it's like a night, it's, it's a nightmare if they die, that's kind of like the end of everything. And I feel like if your touchstone dies, yes, there should be a, a horrible experience for the vampire, but then in theory, the vampire will be desperately searching for someone else 
who symbolizes that ideal. Because that also can easily be the start of an interesting story. But I think it's up to the storyteller whether they can renew their conviction at that point if they find a person. But I certainly think it should be feasible. And, and if nothing else, that something about, you know, a, that starts a story, if your touchstone dies or is gone, that the vampire is going to feel that loss in their soul mm -hmm. and be desperate to, to get it back somehow. Yeah, and the minimum number of touchstones you can have at character creation is one. And, uh, and you go all the way up to three. And they are meant to be malleable. They can change. You can, you can at some point, your character can change their outlook on the world and then during a period of time actually feel less and less attached to that person they, that used to embody what they lived in and finding other things in other people. So it is by no means an easy process, but the, the possibility of you either re-anchoring your existing conviction on a new person, if should that person mm. die or disappear, or developing a new conviction in view of an old one or, or growing, is part of the character growth, it's part of yeah, the path of the character. For sure. Oh, by the way, we think you're great too, Miss Unreason. Hi. Thank you, thank you. Uh, and Lane, I think you said, uh, have we ticked the box? The question is, I have no idea. The, I have no idea. Mitch, might... Mitch definitely ticked the box. Oh, um, Mitch, Mitch? Mitch is all over that. It's Mitch. Mitch it's is the, the hero. He's still the, the tech yeah, boy. He's, he's online. Got it. He's got it. It's cool. Thanks, Mitch. <laughs> Much appreciated. Um, so one thing that's, that is in the book, but we didn't use so much in Blood on the Thames that we're using in Blood on the Tamases is the rule about um, if you've got a, a pool that halved is equal to the difficulty, you can auto-succeed. Now, I'm quite a big fan of this, both as a storyteller and as a player, because I think it's actually very annoying when your character is like the greatest, I don't know, chess player in the universe, and you say, oh, I'm going to have a quick game of chess against someone, and then you fail. Yeah, you have to roll and and it's uh, or you know and it's it also if it's just a transient scene and you just want to see how you did yeah. and move on. You don't want to have not, a yeah. compulsion or a frenzy necessarily in every scene. So this is more like a storyteller's tip. If you don't feel that it is driving the story, either the chronicle or the personal story of one of your characters, don't roll, don't waste time, unless the player really, really wants to. Uh, make a point or wants to develop something or make a role because it's everybody else's times in the table as well so yeah I think that's the thing that in in v5 because of the hunger dice any bad role can potentially result <laughs> in a massive murder or a whole kind of side plot kicking off and so there is a thing where whilst you know it's fine to do it sometimes I do feel like you don't want that coming up just randomly all the time because it can get very frustrating for players I think if they can't Pursue yeah. things they want they, to they, pursue. They, they get stuck. Especially when when you are on moderate hunger, not even high, two, three hunger. Yeah. And uh, and you want to do something, but then you don't want to roll, then you also, it holds you back. Mm. So having the, the take half rule is very convenient for that. You can immediately yeah. say, I'm going to engage in this amount of very low stress, very safe, mm. almost ordinary everyday stuff and I have these pools half this is the successes I have let's move on we talked a while ago actually uh, Carlos and I we didn't implement this rule we talked about an idea for a rule where let's say there's a bunch of mortals in a fight with a vampire and the player is obviously going to win the fight but it's going to take quite a long time to play out that instead of playing out the fight 
you might just say, I don't know, for every mortal over the first one or the second one, that, that vampire is just going to take a superficial point of damage. And then the player just says what they do. They yeah. say, yeah, I take them all out by headbutting them one after the other. And you say, great, take two superficial damage. Scene is done. Yeah, not, not even a need to roll. You just check how many successes would he have given the pool being halved. Um, if it's a, a scene that is critical to the Chronicle, roll it out. You yeah, want compulsions, you want bestial failures to show up, you want critical messes. So uh, oh, I see a question from Lane. One of the things I wanted to ask, we talked about it a little bit before, but how do you deal with thinking about red crits slash fails on the spot? It's hard. Okay. So that is a question that has to deal with how inventive and creative you can be whenever there is a messy critical or abyssal failure showing up. That's why I that's what I assume that question reads out. How do yeah, we Yeah, and it? probably also succeed at a cost. And succeed at a cost. So my first and easiest answer is doesn't matter if you repeat yourself. Like don't be afraid of, of doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, for certain things. So, for example, in um, bestial failures during a hunt might end up being either a masquerade breach or, or an incre increase on hunger. You end up no more satiated than when you started. So it's basically a move point if you cannot think of anything interesting. Now, if you think about what's going on in your chronicle, if the area has enhanced police presence, then maybe a police officer saw you. So that breach of the masquerade now changes slightly. Um, success at a cost are also tricky because I think I think the trickiest of them all is the is the messy critical on social scenarios because you're not only succeeding. You're succeeding in an amazing fashion. But the beast shows up and grants you a compulsion. Mm. And sometimes he's no, that's very... that's a bestial fail, isn't it? Oh, sorry, it doesn't give you a compulsion. The, the, the beast shows up because yeah. it was a messy critical. In a physical scenario, it's okay. Like, I want to hit that person and then you end up breaking their skull. Yeah. And you kill them accidentally. That is, that is, that is a good, like, let's escape this, this situation. But in a social setting in which showing like your fangs, intimidating someone, like you have just critically succeeded at an etiquette role with the prince. How can the beast show up yeah. and be detrimental to you while you still, you, you have to keep in mind, you cannot take away the success of the player. Like the, the critical success. So usually I would think give them the same as the critical win, and then add, like, pool on top. Because it well, cause you can sometimes get away with it. Obviously, the etiquette with the prince is a particularly tough call, yep. example. See? But if it is a persuasion role with another character, it might be you persuade them by being very threatening. Mm. It becomes an intimidate, but a very successful one. So you've got what you wanted, but maybe they've left thinking that you're a scumbag or that they're now afraid of you, things like that. So I think there are options, but it, it is hard in answer to your question. Um, and we're getting a lot of questions. 
Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reading them as they as they appear. So thank you for these questions. We will endeavor to answer all of them as we go. So let's see. Have you ever played any historical games in cities with historical significance? Yes. What are some tips for doing so? I'm thinking of running a one-shot chronicle set in Berlin, 1961, the month that the Berlin Wall is built. Um, one of the great things about going on historical settings uh, or in any other city of the world is that you get to sit down and read about another city in the world and then you'll find out interesting and curious stuff. Um, so it's part of the, the learning experience that I always try to sell role-playing games as. Uh, it's educational too, kids. Uh, but I would say don't get hold up on on the on the detail of the detail understand what is in in historical cities for example medieval europe or or the americas in the in the time of the colonies or things like that understand what is the cultural social and political situation of the place mm. in broad terms you don't need to be an, uh, a masters in a master in economics or or in politics it's just understanding who is ruling and why, who came before, and why the person that is in power is there, mm. in rough terms, and how does that drive things in the ground. I think the most important aspect is the cultural one, because you're going to be portraying SPCs and places. Yeah. So the cultural aspect is the most like key element that you will have to... Uh, do a little bit of research. What are the customs? What are mm. the, uh, the the favorite things, things that they do, odd things, similar things to your culture? So I, I think that's the best way to go about it. So to come back to uh, the sort of second half of Lane's question about thinking these things on the fly, I agree messies and best deals can be tricky. Succeed at a cost, I think, is probably the hardest. Yes, because... Uh... Um, I have to say, I did. I always take my hat off to Titus. I thought he always did a really good job of coming up with some nasty costs for us to deal with. Um, so I think it's that thing of making it, making it something that is not just so ridiculous that they're just going to say no. Like the, the the sweet spot is that the player is tempted, but doesn't want to do it. Ha! <laughs> There's a great question from Mitch just popped in. Uh, I have a homebrew conundrum for you. How would you improve the Tremere Bane? Ooh. And I would improve the Tremere Bane, by the way, because I think of all the Banes, the Tremere's is really light. It's the weakest. Yeah. As, as in, it's, like, it's the only one that... It really does not constitute a major problem for Tremere's, especially as they got older. So yeah, the question is, what is their bane these days? So off the top of my head, it is basically that if you are a Tremere now, now that the, in, in the kind of the current modern law where Clan Tremere is sort of shattered into different houses, um, your blood can no longer bond other vampires. And if you want to make a ghoul, it takes your, Bane severity and extra goes to make it happen. Additional feeding is equal to your Bane severity. So as you can see, it is like the main element of the Bane, which is you cannot uh, blood bond other kindred, is pretty much standard for everything. It's like yeah. being a Tremere means you cannot blood bond everybody. But blood bonding kindred I mean, is it's, it's not... Niche. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not a thing that you're going to be engaging in every day of your own life. And uh, and then if you're an older, it is just a minor inconvenience that it just takes longer to get a mortal to be bought bound yeah. to you. But if you're an older, what does it matter if it takes three months or or eight? Yeah, exactly. It's, and, it's completely useless as a, as a bane. Yeah, it is. And particularly when you compare it to like Nosferatu banes and, you know, Ventru banes, etc., etc., etc. And the... The other banes feel very significant the older you get. Mm. Nosferatu struggle even with disciplines like uh, Ophiuscape with Mask mm. of a Thousand Faces to pass themselves as human. Um, the Toyodor start having severe dice pool penalties to their discipline powers whenever they're not in a place that they want. Um, the Ventru, they, they, at the beginning they can get away with it, but at, uh, like high bane severity Ventru, are hard-pressed to feed on anything but their preference because of the amount of willpower it would take. So, so my, I would change it. I might change it to something like... the Because the old bane was that you started a step bloodbound kind of towards the um, Vienna Chantry and your sire. So you only had to drink effectively one more time. Twice. Instead of three times. times. Yeah, so twice instead of three times. So I would be tempted to say that if Ultramere used to be created where they were kind of like predisposed to being bound and now they're not, maybe now they are easier to blood bond themselves yes. or even they have a need to be blood bond. So if they don't have a bond with another kindred or a step at least towards it, if they don't have other kindred blood in their system, maybe they're at a dice penalty equal to their bane severity or something. I would say... Something fun like that. Yeah, for me it would be I would give the Tremere... Dice pool penalties equal to their bane severity to any intelligence plus resolve roll to resist commands while being under the blood bond. Yeah, yeah. And things like that. So basically, the Tremere blood is more susceptible, very susceptible to that bond. type of control through mm -hmm. the bond. I don't know, maybe, maybe do it like a double whammy, like, well, to to be felt as a real bane severity, uh, yeah. sorry, a clan bane, it would be you can no longer bane uh, blood bond kindred, and also while under the influence of blood bond or while trying to resist, you have a, a dice pool penalty. So if you drink blood from anybody else, it's triple risky. Um, so. Miss Marie was saying that she always thought whoever came up with Tremere only played Tremere and wanted them to be really OP. Sorry? That's the comment there. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I do sometimes feel like Tremere often feel like a, a, a quite a powerful clan. Um, and I, I do sort of handle them with care, I think, in Chronicles. I think the, the, the power of the Tremere comes with preparation. And a lot of people give them more. Like, they have a lot of power. True. But it comes from two things. One, they are unpredictable to other clans. If you're holding the rulebook in your hands, the Tremere holds no threat to you because you know everything they can do. Mm. But if you're living in their world, you have no yeah. idea what's the extent of their power. And that is their political mm. maneuver, so to speak. But they are defenseless against potents and presence and all of those other disciplines, just as any other kindred, but a Tremere that is prepared 
with the proper rituals, and I do like that the rituals take longer and they, yeah. they take blood. If you're really well prepared, you can get away with things once until you have time to prepare again. So, yeah, I would say in V5 they feel more balanced than yeah, they were in V20. Absolutely, sure. but then the bane is crap. So I'm. Uh, we'll come to that later. So talking about jumping back to kind of homebrew rules and things, I want to talk about my favorite rule that we've introduced for Blood on the Tamasis, and this is the assist rule. Ooh. So as it stands, if in, in the rules as written, if you assist another character and you have a skill in that area, you give them an extra dice. And each character that assists gives an extra dice. And the thing that I didn't like about that was if I'm, say, playing chess, and the master chess player of the universe is next to me giving me advice as an assist, that should be more impactful than a novice chess player at my shoulder giving me an assist. So the way we play the rule now is skill levels of one and two give an extra dice on an assist, but if the person assisting you has th a level three skill or level two with a specialty in that area, then they give you an automatic success. And if their total of skill points and specialties add up to five, then they give you an automatic 10. And that means if you had two master chess players advising you in a chess match, assisting you, you would get a critical win automatically yeah. because you should. That's just yeah. how it should be. I mean, you have two experts on the field assisting you, each of them with a, with a, with a skill of five or four with a specialty in that specific area. You should have at least a critical win. You should at least succeed at, in, in a good manner. Of yeah. course, it uh, over prolonged periods of time, it just helps you more. Um, so that is a very useful... It feels impactful because sometimes people don't even need to, like, to, to put an effort to give a die. And others, it's like, oh... I can help you. I have like one die on, I don't yeah. know, larceny, and then the master, uh, you know, yeah. thief uh, and, and, and pickpocket goes like, well, I, I have four dice. I, I, I can give you just the same die. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. A die is just that, a die, a 50% chance of having any sort of success and a one in 10 of rolling a 10. Um, but a success, straight goes to towards beating the difficulty and a 10 just opens up the possibility of you critically yeah. succeeding so that's that feels more impactful related directly to the level of proficiency the person assisting you has so we're nearly through all of the homebrew rules we've come up with for blood Tempest, but there are a couple more so the uh, the other one is about frenzying. One yeah. of the things L thinks is mentally. One of the rule changes I yeah. really like is giving bonus for frenzy. Very well. So we have a segue from Chad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, our friends. Uh, yeah. So one of the things that always bugs me is when a vampire goes into frenzy, I feel like it should be something that is scary for the people around them. And if you're playing a vampire that is not physical and they're going to frenzy, it's kind of comical. They flail around with their pool of one or two dice and then just get put down. And it just seems a little bit naff, you know? So the rule that we've implemented is that when you go into frenzy, your Bane severity is added to your physical dice pool for any physical check. So obviously for neonates, that's not such a big deal. But when you start getting to Ancilla and Elders, it makes even a non-physical vampire actually quite threatening. 
and it makes a physical vampire terrifying when they frenzy. And that feels right to me. That feels how it should be. You know, if an elder vampire loses their cool, everybody should be concerned. And uh, while in chat, uh, Lane saying that uh, given this rule, uh, that would bring Joanne from a full one strength to two. But where you are, so even if you don't have brawl or melee or or firearms or whatever is the the the, the skill you're using, it's a pool of two. If you rouse, it becomes a pool of three. And uh, the moment is two dies or more, you have the chances of having critical successes. So something that Joanne would not be able to do on her own, which is get anywhere, any, anything more than a couple of successes by rousing the blood and having a lot of luck, it becomes far more likely, which makes a, a, a Francine vampire more dangerous because it's just for physical stuff. It's also worth mentioning that if Joanne has a surgeon's scalpel in her hand, at the time she frenzies, it will also add to her dexterity pool. Yeah. So it will make her even more proficient at uh, operating in Frenzy. Um, so the, there was a question actually from Izzy, which was about advice for running a Chronicle with just two players. And I would say this is an opportunity. Because sometimes when you've got lots of players, you have to spread your attention between them as a storyteller. Whereas if you've only got two, on the one hand, it means you can just have a lot more time with each one but it also allows you potentially to explore a really interesting relationship between those two characters. So I would, if I was storytelling that chronicle, I might be thinking of making them sire and child or the children of the same sire and having some kind of weird sibling relationship between them or something like that, where the dynamic between the two is absolutely critical to yeah. the storytelling. Friends, people who are friends in life yes. and embracing different clans. Yeah. There are many ways to yeah, go about it. Um, and what Peter said about the court, regardless of the system you're playing, having two players is enough. Unless you're playing something like D&D in which you need to have the <laughs> most powerful combat combatants and the, the, the most attacks per round on your side. If you're going for the story, any system works. So right now I'm running a Chronicle on and off uh, whenever Mitch comes, uh, Legend of the Five Rings, with just Mitch and Peter. And, um, and he loves it. I, I like it. It's the best time. But they love it. And uh, it's because we have managed to sit down and develop each character individually and then the relationship between the two. Mm. And, and that is basically the focus of what's going on while the chronicle is happening, while the campaign is happening. I should say as well that when I run D&D games, I try to cap at three players. Hmm. because I like having the time for the, for the personal story stuff. And I think it gets harder. As, I mean, four is okay, but no more than four, because I just feel like I can't. I know some of you super GMs out there will play with teams of eight and stuff, and, you know, I salute you, but... You're amazing. But I can't. I'm not. I'm not doing that. Um, okay, so last and possibly least um, is just a, a quick rule around hunger, because it's very easy to monitor hunger in Vampire yeah. when you're running night to night and action to action. But sometimes we want to skip forward in time, but we still want to think about how hungry people might be. So I've got two kind of rule options for this that I use. One is if it's just like a few days or a week and I just want to move the story forward quickly. And then I basically rule that if nobody's on hunger four or hunger five, assuming there are no 
ridiculous risks or police presence or other things going on, then they can assume that they will just keep their hunger level or reduce it to one over that period of time, done. However, if I'm going for a longer period of time, or if I want it to be a thing where it's important that some people might be hungrier than others, then what I would do is get them to make a hunt roll based at the difficulty of the chassis of their domain. Sorry, if you're not familiar with the rules, essentially the domain you're in will set the difficulty based on how much available food there is and how, much, uh, how easy it is to find people. So you make that roll, your margin of success reduces your hunger by one to a minimum of one, your margin of failure raises your hunger by one to a maximum of five. And if you have merits like herd, each dot of that merit gives you an automatic success in that role. So basically, unless your chronicle is at a point in which exploring the hunt is crucial to get into the psychology of the character and how he sees or, or she sees feed feeding, um, or unless it has the potential of being like messy, Especially if, if you're running campaigns with Ancillus and the mm. like. Uh, if someone has been living for, say, uh, 80 to 150 years as kindred, you would imagine that they wouldn't have any issues unless you put them in a completely new environment and things that are completely different. If an environment doesn't change much, they know how to feed. They know how to treat yeah. all, that, all that hunger. And I think it also, it's very much around what you want the focus of your campaign to be. If you want it to be one where, I don't know, it's a second Inquisition campaign and every night is a matter of survival, then yeah, you might want to play a hunt-to-hunt -hunt kind of thing. But if you want to look at, if the campaign is more politically focused or is on a broader time scale in terms of its canvas, then I think it's good to have alternate ways of handling it where occasionally feeding will become very important, but a lot of the time it isn't. Yeah. And I think that is all of the, the kind of the homebrew rules that we came up with for Blood on the Seven. So obviously, sorry, Blood on the Tamases. So we've we kind of had Blood on the Thames, which was kind of book as written, Blood on the Tamases, which was a, a step kind of into homebrewing more. Um, but I'm gonna kind of look in your direction, slightly longingly, of course, um, because you've also been thinking about kind of evolving rules or taking things from where Blood on the Tamases is yeah. as well. So basically for the the next chronicle after this, after Blood on the, Tam, um, the Tamases, is going to be uh, Blood on the Severn, which is going to be uh, based in Bristol. And uh, and I already am taking uh, the the assist rule, the um, the frenzy rule, um, and the and the take half rule as default. And the convictions rule. And the convictions one, sorry. And, and the convictions ones at default. Um, and I am making very little changes to any of them. They're, they're not going to have, from what we have done, nothing that is going to, to be much different. I will be adding a couple of new things that are going to be more related to, um, to the Chronicle itself. But there will be less rule uh, homebrewing and more and more world building. That's that's what I want to get there. 
there's a lot of love for the second Inquisition. Yes, it's a Bristol-based. Uh, well, there there is the the one shot that I run with Phil, Lane, and Peter. Uh, Blood on the Severn. Uh, it's on our YouTube channel if you want to find it. Peter went and looked for the dice because he's amazing. Um, and uh, and Blood on the Severn has. Uh, there, there are going to be some a, a little bit of house ruling regarding domains, but it's not going to be massive, and I'll be discussing it later. The reason for it is for those who watch the the one shot, you will remember that Bristol is a city in which multiple factions operate. So you have the Camarilla of Bristol, but there is a heavy anarch presence in in Bristol and the surrounding areas. And, uh, and there is also a faction of autarkies, of independents, that are also operating the city, and they do not want to either deal with the Camarilla nor deal with what is called the anarchy or the anarch movement. And, uh, and the anarch movement of Bristol is different from the uh, free states uh, of Los Angeles or in, in California, the, cities, the free states of California. So it's going to be around the domains because now the domain of each faction is, is more likely to end up being the source of all problem. So we're going to do a little bit of, of, of house ruling and home brewing mm -hmm. around there. We will be using, as we have been using with uh, blood on the, on the Tamises, but not to a super deep extent the home homesteading rules that you yes. can find in Chicago by night. Yeah, so um, we have been using a bit of Chicago by night for Blonde the Tamases. Um, obviously, uh, Clan the Sombra uh, comes into play through that, and Oblivion comes into play through that book. Um, we've also been using the homesteading rules a little bit. Um, my personal feeling, I, I quite like homesteading rules. I like the idea that you can sometimes tie something of the environment into play but I also feel like it's not something I want to do in every location every time because I feel like sometimes it just feels like a stretch and um for blood on the Severn uh since domains are going to be much more well defined yes. because the borders between factions have to be very well defined uh a few of the domains will have the homesteading rules uh, most of them will not. Most of them will not be super significant. And to answer Imsiver's question, um, please don't tell me you are going to end up blowing the SS Great Britain like my players threatened to. Let me assure you, the SS Great Britain and all the waterways in the center of the city and around the city belong to the Autarkis and are under the protection of a bruya called the Teacher. Nothing's going to happen to the SS Great Britain. Don't worry about it. Um, but I think it's dice time. Oh, what? We're here already. <laughs> wow. I think so, Is right? it? Yes, Is it I time? think so. It's time. So hang on. So you're saying it's time to announce the, um, the giveaway? What the hell's <laughs> calling? So the, the only thing is, if we're going to announce the giveaway, don't we have another important thing we need to do whilst doing the giveaway? Oh, yes. Yes, because, because two in chat... At least two people in uh, chat. Yeah, two two people in chat said it was important that we, um, you know, celebrated this giveaway 
with a drink, drink in Kirsty's honour because we miss Kirsty, and she very kindly brought one of the most wonderful things that's ever been invented, which is street waffle liquor, I into mean, our lives. I've been, as a chemical engineer, the curiosity of what is it made out of. Uh, so I can give it a try at some point in, later in my yeah. life. I have okay. not been able to find it. It apparently is like a super... Yeah, this um, is... Uh, recipe. <laughs> you will die of sugar shock. Yeah, probably, but it's the way I want to go if it's going to happen. So I'm happy with that. My Boba Fett. Yeah, this is Carlos's cool glasses. So to Kirsty, we miss you. Salud. Salud. Oh yeah. So good. Our answers are gonna get better by the sip, let me tell you. <laughs> well he's answers. Yes, one of us is a lightweight drinker. Can you guess who it is? Totally Carlos. The rum drinker for sure. The rum drink for sure. Definitely. Oh yeah, what were we doing? A giveaway, something? It yeah, is a yeah. giveaway. I'm yeah. looking for the list. And I found the list. You've got the list. So, because we're going to do this with a, a dice roll this time. So you've all been allocated a number, those of you who are um, eligible. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to... My pause. It's two sips. He's pausing already. Uh, so we're going to roll the dice and we're going to see who wins the Herald's coin. So basically... I'm just going to talk about it because it's great. A little bit the Herald's coin. Because it's got the, the crest of vampiric Oxfordshire, which Alicia designed, which I love, by the way, even now. Whenever the um, starting soon screen comes up, it always just makes me happy when I see it. Such Get me some casools instead <laughs> of a run, run, run roll. I, I, I want a, a oh, drum, a drum roll, roll. But, but in the way of casools, come on, give me casool lords. Uh, People... And the winner is Sumgurk. Is yes, I, I spell I, I, I hope I pronounce it right. Yes. Sumgurk. Sumgurk, you have won. You are the owner of these beautiful Herald's coin. So there was a, a request to Oh, congratulations, by the way. Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, later on, uh, someone in our team will try to get in touch to, with you so you can give us your details so we can send this to you and get it. Now, Mitch, we're having a nice time at the moment. Please don't bring that film into this conversation. Oh, my God. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it to us. Um, so the, the thing is, can you please recite the tragedy of Darth uh, Plagueis the Wise in Sir Kerstag's voice whilst drunk? So I need to get slightly more drunk, and also, the more drunk I get, the less I will remember the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. So this is sort of a difficult, difficult balance. Um, but maybe that could be a stream of its own in the future. We can, I'll, I'll have a script for it, and I'll get very drunk, and then try and read it as a cursed egg. Just for you. He'll have two rums. And that, that's gonna be it. I'm a cheap date, for anyone who's wondering. <laughs> Peter is smashed, yeah. He's, yeah. he's gone. Three sips. Yep. That's done. That's, I'm, that's, I'm done. So, next on our list is the interesting stuff. Oh. Yeah, you put your... No, <laughs> no, no, we have... No, wait, wait. There's, wait, wait. There is more excitement because... Oh, yes. So, before we get on to the, the future, which is very exciting, um, Blood on the Seven 
is going to incorporate some bespoke law sheets because Blood and the Tamasis has dabbled in some law sheets from the books. Um, the um, Sabat War survivor law sheets. Yeah. And the. Hasn't showed up and played. Oh, it hasn't shown. I'll say nothing. Another law there's sheet. A, there's a secret law a sheet. Secret, a secret law sheet. But suffice to say, it's only a couple of law sheets, and they are um, ones that are in the books as written. However, so, there are some things that are not yet published. There's no published material on them, and there are also some things that are unique to the Chronicle that uh, Carlos is looking at doing. And so, with that in mind, we've made our own. So, uh, for those of you who don't know about the lore sheets, the lore sheets is, are very interesting ways in which you can tie your character to the overarching meta plot of the World of Darkness. Um, so if you wanna work in your world in isolation and you this, uh, you create and, and explore that, no need for lore sheets, no need to explore anything beyond that. The moment you want to start touching up on other elements, so for example, some of the lore sheets will be uh, descendant of Hardestag, descendant of Helena, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like iconic kindred of the world of darkness, then you start tying your character and the Chronicle by uh, extension to the greater plot of the world of darkness. That also means that you can create your own lore sheets to tie your Chronicle and the player more strongly. But Sorry, I'm laughing because... Um... <laughs> Miss Unreason said that me getting drunk is quite exciting already. And Mitch was saying, have you ever seen such joy in a man's face? So uh, before this stream started, I was saying to Mitch that I was going to be a beacon of joy on this stream. And he wasn't sure it was possible. But he didn't know that we had Stroopwaffle liquor to have. And so now that was my secret weapon. So going about lore sheets, um, there are plenty. You can find them in the core rulebook. Mm. You can find some in the Camarilla book, which are Camarilla related, Arnold book, Arnold related, Chicago, Point Night, great set of, of lore sheets. Mm. Very well done because they tie around the city of Chicago and the meta plot as well. So some of them are exclusives to, yeah. to like a club or to like an area, Lycanthrope, um, you, you know, um, Lycanthropy, Lycanthrope like Hunter. Lycanthrope Hunter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can have those like in a general sense, but what, what, what? Hey, sorry, the, the, the Amis is saying it's very important that you top up my glass. My glass is already pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's glass is... About 60% full, <laughs> mine is about 20% full. So uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it and top it up, okay? Mine is empty, actually. Mine so. is far from empty. <laughs> it's by, by, <laughs> it is far. It is nearly full, <laughs> as is my soul at this moment. Sorry, you were talking about very important things yeah. about lore sheets. So, for example, in the Chicago by Night lore sheets, you would find a lot of interesting stuff that are that is both tied to the metaplot and also tied to the city. Yes. If you're with industries and things like that. He's so gone right now. Um, so I was thinking of creating some lore sheets that could be used in Blood on the Severn that could tie the characters to the story of the city and to the sort of meta plot that I have created, as well as allowing some of the 
lore sheets that are available in the published products as part of the sort of like the the gamma of possibilities so players can tie other elements. So we are still doing things in the world of Blood mm. on the Thames and Blood on the Thames. This is our own version of the World of Darkness yeah. that is loosely tied to the overarching White Wolf meta plot. But we created, well, I have created a lore sheet, but before I talk to the lore sheet, I have to talk about something interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. That requires the lore sheet. So, the, the overall idea of having the clans in, in, in White Wolf when they created Vampire the Masquerade was to have each and every single bloodline, so mm -hmm. to speak, be distinct, be unique. And each one of those being unique would portray different aspects of the of the kindred. So, of course, a Nosferatu kindred is different than a Torador, which mm -hmm. is a seducer, or or the dominating Ventru, or the sort of shape-shifting Gangrel. And out of all the clans, the 13 clans, one of them, they have said that in this new iteration of V5, they had done without. The Ravnos are yeah. gone. They are yeah. reduced to less than a bloodline, yeah. if anything. So there are only 12 clans. Seven that were published in the core rulebook, core Camarilla clans yeah. before the defection of a couple of them to the Anarchs. Then the Banu Hakim showed in the Camarilla book and the Ministry in the Anarch book, bringing the total to nine. Uh, then the... La Sombra came up in Chicago by night, and we have already had a, a peak, and we had a conversation about the Hecata uh, that is coming in in, blood, in Calls of the Blood Gods. That leaves us with one clan that needs covering, mm. and that's the Shemis. And I I was thinking, how would the Shemis in fifth edition would look like? Yeah, we've had many chats and, yes, on this topic. And I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but I'm standing by what I'm saying. I like the setup of the Shemesk as it was in previous editions with regards of the disciplines. Basically, Auspex, Animalism, and they had Vicissitude, which was effectively a discipline that would allow them to mold bone and flesh mm. and shape themselves to their ideals. The thing is that for those who are familiar with the lore, the Shemis come from an, an old and honored long tradition of rulers and lords, the Voivodes and the, and the rulers of the Carpathians and the whole histories of Dracula, Vlad Tepes, Vlad Dracul. So all of those are the origins of the Shemis who were always striving for more, for, how do you call it? Not enlightenment, but transcendence. They were always looking for a way to transcend, get closer to perfection in some way, shape, or form. And at some point, that ideal became very much physiological in what was the path of metamorphosis and people will start to change themselves to transcend the physical form. And now? No, no, I was just mm -hmm. thinking our enthusiasm is affecting the camera. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> earthquake! Okay. It's like a sort of Star Trek moment. Um, 
So basically, there, the changes to, to the physiology of the kindred through the discipline of vicissitude were very unique and people would be able to shape other people's flesh and bone and, and, and alter themselves and others. Now, it always struck me as odd that for a lot of people, playing a Shemesque meant playing someone with vicissitude. Mm. And if the reason you're playing a character of a clan is because you like the one discipline that you think that makes them unique, then are they really unique? Yeah. Are they really a clan worth playing outside vicissitude? If you could get away with grabbing any other clan and adding vicissitude as a clan discipline, would you do it instead of playing the actual Shemesque? Because I would play a Ventru or a La Sombra. Well, La Sombra do have Obtenebration, but in the new iteration is Oblivion, which is shared by the Hecata. I will play a Ventru or a Toreador because of who they are as a clan. So this is Carlos basically setting up his defense because he's going to take away your vicissitude. And you're I'm just not going to take you're just away. You've got to deal, deal with it. Because in V5... <laughs> They tend not to give clans a clan-specific discipline. What they do is they have disciplines that are shared between clans, and then they tweak them with different pathways or amalgams to make them unique to that clan. And that's actually something we both really like about yeah. V5. It keeps the number of disciplines low. So right now, I think we're dealing with 10, 11 disciplines. And that's it. I have no idea. The, the 10 disciplines in the book and, uh, and Oblivion that has yeah. been given to two clans. So why would I want to have the Shemisk having a discipline that only them have when I can take other disciplines and make it so that it can be used as vicissitude? Mm. And of course, this is going to draw a lot of hate from both Shemisk lovers and Gangrel lovers. But think about it again. If what makes your clan special is that they have a unique discipline, Reconsider your clan, your favorite clan, because you're not playing the clan, you're playing the discipline. Protein is the discipline of change. And if it's a discipline that can allow you to grow, grow claws, transform into mist or into other creatures or move your heart around, it can also let you alter your body. So vicissitude could be very well be made into a protein path, so to speak, uh, with protein one of malleable visage, sort of Shemisk-like uh, power. It could be either an amalgam using Auspex mm. to f find your own features. And um, malleable visage will allow you to change your features, your body features, slightly in, in accordance with what other disciplines would do at level one. Uh, give you a couple of, um, giving you a couple of dice to sort of like disguise yourself as someone else without actually changing yourself to that degree, or or making you shadow somebody else in a crowd because you don't look like you. Changing your eye color, your hair color, some basic features on your face for a rouse check, uh, and and having that sort of malleability. And that would last a scene. That is the very basics of it. Mm. Then you could very easily have a, a protein two being the the feral claws, 
Well, yeah, like the, the bone weaponry or that kind of Which thing. Which is, yes, feral, Which is feral feral weapons. by another name. Yeah. yeah, feral weapons, sorry. A reskin. You, you can have feral weapons very easily. Now, vicissitude 3 is when things get interesting, or protein 3. Yeah, there is no vicissitude, people. There is no vicissitude. No. It's pro protein. Instead of letting you meld with earth hmm. or change into the form of an animal, now you can change yourself. And you can do what you used to be able to do with old vicissitude, basically reshaping your flesh and bone and your skin and, and, and changing yourself through the path of metamorphosis, if, if you will. And of course, if you also have feral weapons, protein too, at any point with a rouse check, you can have, if you have like spikes all on your arm and your elbows and your shoulders, you can make them feral weapons and then they will do aggravated damage to mortals and non-superficial, non-half superficial damage to others. But those, these changes are permanent. The thing is that if you want to change back, you also have to uh, roll again. Mm. So protein three is where you want to be at. Now, bear in mind, nothing is done to other people. It's just you. Protein four is effectively, the, the, the path of vicissitude of pro, protein four is effectively the solo form, which is the, 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 the war form, the war form yeah. of the Shemesk, which is this sort of like massive stuff. And it's not anything uh, outside the, the mechanics of um, V5. So protein four, uh, shape change allows you to, you have beast form at three and then the prerequisite of it for shape change is at four. It allows you to transform into something like a bear, something that adds yeah. to your physical attributes, your stamina and does a heap ton of damage. So you could have a protein four, probably animalism two power that allows you to transform into a huge beast. One type, just the type, that's it. Bigger than your mass, you name it. But if you do vicissitude, is your if if you're a shemesk, this is your solo form. If you are a gangrel, which is someone who has access to protein and animalism, and could get access to this thing, and we were discussing it, mm. this would be an amalgam power that would allow you to transform into a bigger, meaner version of any like a combat form. Yeah, like a scary vampire wolf or yes. a scary vampire bear or whatever. That that kind of. That idea of being a supernatural animal rather than a yeah, normal animal. Yeah, instead of being a normal animal. And, yeah. and, uh, and therefore, you wouldn't, it would be only that form and, and it would be clearly uh, supernatural, but you wouldn't need the prerequisite protein 3. So many gangrel would go um, Eyes of the Beast, Feral Weapons, um, Earth Meld, and then this uh, base form. And then uh, for protein 5, you could very easily transform into mist if you want, or you can have your heart move around your body, or you could learn how to do this to others. And then this allows you to use your level one and three uh, vicissitude powers to transform other people. And it only makes sense that a master of vicissitude is the one who can actually shape other people. So obviously you, uh, listening along, may have thoughts about um the new protein powers that we're putting forward. And um, 
we'd like to hear them. So, you know, if you're watching live and you want to put it in the chat now, that's awesome. And if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast and you want to comment somewhere, that's also awesome. Because all this stuff is stuff that we're kind of experimenting with and putting into play that might get tweaked or changed yeah. as it goes along. And you may also have had your own ideas about how you would bring this clan and those disciplined powers into uh, into a game. And, and having um, um, a shamisk with that set up a discipline is still very relevant because you can still have auspex mm. you can still have your mostly mental animalism powers with some of the physical interaction with animalism powers and then your protein powers but if you are more of a physical metamorphosis and growth and change shamisk mm. you can use the protein branch that is sorry the vicissitude branch and if you are more of a traditional shamisk, you can ignore all of that and be normal protein, sort of. So I'm glad to hear that people uh, in chat are sort of saying nice and, and approving things. Um, but what this really is setting us up for is the fact that Blood on the Seven is going to be thinking about law sheets more proactively. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about the shamisk clan is they're quite a multifaceted clan. And what Carlos has come up with is this law sheet to try and allow people to explore different facets as their characters might find appropriate. So the Shemisk are being uh, explored in the, in the lore and, and throughout V5 as the way they are now. It's easier to, to have the clan portrayed as they are now than, they, than it is the, to portray them the way they were before. So by default, you would have the, the Shemisk being as I described them with those three disciplines plus all their their physical change that the, the, the struggle and, and striving always to be a, a better version of themselves on the outside at the very least but there's also all of the old clan shamisk all the old lores people in the carpathians and in the in the mountains of romania still hiding to this day people who were looking for transcendence in a different way by becoming one with the land, by becoming the the best lord spiritually with the land or with the people or by religion. There were many other virgins. So I created a Dracul or old clan Shemisk lore sheet, which was something, it was kind of a thing back then in uh, V20 and previous editions. And this would be a normal lore sheet, five levels that they will put your character uh, your Shemisk character more in tune with the old type of Shemisk, the old lores, than with the new fiends, the new type of Shemisk. Um, at first level, you would be a connoisseur. It would be a scholar of the old blood, which will give you a couple of dice very specifically for things like uh, academics, politics, occult, and etiquette when dealing with uh, old clan Shemisk, knowing their lore and their ancestral lands. So it's very niche, very small, but it gives you a couple of dice in, in, a, in, in a kind of broad group of skills, three or four skills. Uh, so, so it's sort of offset. And it's a very good way of tying your character to what the clan Shemisk was mm. and no longer is. Um, Let's see. Oh, we have already a comment. Not quite sure about requiring five dots to do anything to others. Also wondering what do you consider the actual mechanics of three outside of cosmetics? 
Okay, the actual mechanics of three involve many things. Um, so you could add permanent dice to either uh, intimidation or persuasion rolls, depending on the type of, uh, of changes that you're doing, but it's like one die or two die, or you could always activate them uh, in a similar manner to presence. So it, it, it would be, yes, it, it is yes. closer to the two oblivion So uh, Amis was mentioning that, that the discipline powers and this pathway for vicissitude within Protean seems more in depth than the amalgam discipline from Dimitation. Yep. And I think in the, in the core rulebook, they did handle some of like Dimitation in a very kind of simple, one amalgam power, job done kind of way. Whereas when Onyx Path started working on Oblivion for the La Sombra and the Hector, it was a much more kind of detailed, laid out pathway. And I suppose we've been influenced by the latter in this yeah. case. So, um, Vicissitude 3 will allow you to have changes in a permanent fashion. Uh, it'll include things that, for example, you could include having your feral weapons always ready no need to start doing crazy stuff. You already are having weapons. If you want them to be feral weapons as the power, a, AKA um, plus two damage yeah. and not and damage not being halved for Kindred, then you would have to activate them. But other than that, you will always have claws that you can use to do uh, aggravated damage to mortals. Mm. So that would be one of the things. Um, it would allow you bonus dice in in times of, for example, being in situations in which being double jointed or being able to wriggle through different confined spaces would be useful. So the mechanics are not a hundred percent written down because of the wild amount of possibilities. Uh, so I'm thinking about giving a a range of one to three dice to certain activities or one success or something similar along those lines. So it would be there, it would be permanent changes. You can start trying to l look like somebody else. Not, when I say somebody else, it's not me trying to look like specific person A, is me trying to look like not me. Mimicking somebody else, the way uh, Shemis uh, Vicissitude used to do, was the equivalent of what now Obfuscate 5 does. And that's pretty much an illusion. So uh, I'm not trying to create a discipline that will overshadow other disciplines at higher levels even. So let's um, maybe jump back to the law sheet. Law sheet. Because you, you talked about the, the rank one ability with mm. the law. Um, so, uh, all Clan Shemesk, according to uh, the Shemesk clan book, revised editions and all of that, uh, some of them would trade vicissitude for dominate. And effectively, they would tell you in some cases that the disciplines of the true, of, of the all Clan Shemesk would be animalism, auspects, and uh, dominate. Vicissitude being sort of like the disease that came into later. Uh, so what I'm doing is uh, members of, the, sorry, people that have the lore sheet of the Dracul could, for two dots, uh, call upon that strength of the blood of the old lords and consider, like, for the purposes of uh, increasing 
levels on the discipline of dominate, you can count it as an inclined discipline. So it'll be cheaper. Uh, it's just that discipline. It's not like other lore sheets in which you have a choice of taking one. I think it's the low clan discipline that comes to mind. And it's a top up. I've, um, I've got a drop. Hang on. No, you don't. Okay. So there is the um, one of the lore sheets, which is the the low clans lore sheet. And the, in the low clans lore sheet at level four, you can choose pretty much any other low clan, choose the discipline a discipline from them, and then just quite have it, which is kind of what. Is that the end of the bottle? Yes, it, it is. It is the sad, sad end of the bottle. <laughs> Peter will cry. <laughs> Salud. So, um, it would be Lord Sheet level two. You are descendant of those old clan shamans that could do dominate, and it's in your blood. Uh, and the, the Lordship at level three would be Master of the Vinculum. Um, the the Shemisk are a clan that has always had a lot of experience with the blood bond and how to do it. And they are the ones who develop the ritual of the Valdery used for the Sabbat. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you'll have to wait for the new rule books to come out because I don't want to go into that level of detail. No. But effectively, it, it deals with a lot a lot with the blood bond, being blood bound, being able to blood bond others. So a master of the vinculum uh, would have, for three levels on this lore sheet, you would be having your blood through rituals being twice as effective for the purposes of the blood bond. Um, not for the, the strength of the blood, not, not for the, not to create the blood bond, but for the duration of the blood, if you get blood to a mortal, that mortal will stop aging and it will be two months instead of one before they have to drink again. But also the, the bond strength will decrease slower. So your blood is very good at keeping and maintaining strong bonds because of the knowledge of your rituals and, and the activities mm. you do. Additionally, you would gain a bonus, uh, a, a number of bonus dice for your intelligence plus resolve roles to resist the commands of a dometer if you are blood bound. So your knowledge of the blood bond goes both ways. You are better equipped to resist uh, the blood bond, but also better uh, in better shape to, to blood bound others. Uh, at level four, you would be a Kaldunic sorcery. It's basically all clan Earth magic, sort of. Mm. They say that they were the first true blood sorcerers, and at that level, you would be including blood sorcery and Koldunic rituals into your repertoire. And at fifth level of the lore sheet, it would be ties to the Oradia League, which is something part of the world of darkness in which a group of a dozen or so old clan shemes, we're talking about ancient elders who have decided not to get in. in in touch with the new sort of trend of the clan Shemesk, they decided to be like the beacon of the past and what the clan used to stand for, you will have strong ties to them. And we're talking about elders, millennia old, mm. uh, 
and uh, and having ties with them would allow you to get the equivalent of a five dot mola in the shape of one of their childer that can come and help you once per story or five dots of resources that you get to your disposal for a short period of time or five dots of influence. We're talking about something that can be used only once per story, but when you use it, it's deeply impactful. Unlike having five dots on resources that you can use every session yeah. to do everything you want. You have the, the very big versatility. So that's the way we created this store sheet. It's very mentioning that uh, um, soon, I think it's this Sunday when we go for the blog post and update things in, in our website, uh, we will be having this, uh, the clanshamisk idea with the protein ideas and the lore sheet as content for our patrons. So yes, if you're a patron, coming soon, coming soon in an email near you, you'll get PDF copies of what we have created. All the content and information is going to be, of course, propriety of White Wolf. This is just us taking a stab in the dark to change things the way we wanted to. Yeah, and although we're not going to talk about it today, there are other law sheets that um, Blood on the Seven will also be using that will be custom or bespoke. Um, so again, we're not going to go into the details now, but Carlos mentioned there are different factions in this chronicle. And whilst obviously it's, there's a lot known about the Camarilla and the Anarch, the Autarchist faction, the Independents, are unique to this chronicle and to Bristol in this world. And so there's going to be a law sheet for them, which you know, not only will give you some kind of cool stuff, but also enables, I think, players to get an idea of what kind of options there are if you're a member of this faction and what are they about. It gives them an identity, which I think can be, you know, it's one of the things that can be difficult, I think, in an Anarch game sometimes is because they can be so different. Yes. Unless the storyteller establishes something cool and clear about the identity of that Anarch group, they can sometimes feel a bit nebulous Whereas the Camarilla often feels very kind of highly defined, mm -hmm. and um, and there there are other ideas for for lore sheets that we'll be developing. I mean, we're in isolation, so yeah, lots of time, lots to, of talk about of time to talk about vampire um, uh, things like um, casts and factions within clans or outside clans, um, uh, iconic moments or defining defining moments or defining places. They all have the potential of creating lore sheets. So give them a read, have an idea, get a clue, and just get them out there and send them to us. So before we get to the exciting new stuff, um, we mentioned at the beginning of this about a rule we weren't happy with, which is the kind of all-out attack rule. Mm -hmm. It's not so bad with ranged weapons. With ranged weapons, you essentially expend all of your clip all in one go and you get the damage bonus. Yeah. So the disadvantage is you can't fire the next round, but you get one, that's fine. It's for the close combat, where you get, if you win the roll, plus one to your damage. And even if you win the roll, their roll hits you at static difficulty one. So it's terrible. We don't like it. Somebody brilliant put a comment about it. I think it was Elfane's. Yeah. He mentioned, which, which was the, the way I was thinking about it. He mentioned that if you go on an all-out attack, you do all your successes in damage instead of just your margin. Yes. So I think that does make it worth and it. And that, that my, my idea is if you're doing an all-out attack, you're effectively saying, I will take all of their successes because I will not use my successes to counteract theirs. Yes. 
It's not I am looking to beat them. It's like I am looking to hurt them, regardless of what happens to me. So in an outlet attack, I would say it's just a contested roll, but we don't do any calculations of margin of success. You will receive an amount of damage equal to their successes, and they will receive an amount equal to yours. That is the way I see it. I quite like it because it's simple, clean. There's an obvious risk-reward. Um, it's the equivalent of hitting someone at a static difficulty of one. Yeah. So, it, because if you have the all-out attack rule for extra damage, and then you're going to jump on someone from stealth or from obfuscate or from mm. like an ambush or whatever, then you have a mechanic that can destroy a lot of people, yeah, and then yeah. you make that kind of overpowered. Yeah, it means that like Nosferatu yeah. become pretty disgusting. Yeah, or Gangrel that are stalking you with a lot of stealth. So it's, it's, it's no different than someone coming out from ambush hitting you. The thing is that if the other is that if if the other person is aware of what's going on, they will hit you with everything. So that's that's the way I was thinking. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's... And I think Elfings nailed it. Yes. Did you have Thank any you, ideas or thoughts about the, the Not room? any ideas that were superior to Elfings' idea, for sure. Yeah, because if people are trying to hurt each other, they're just going all... I mean, time. I wondered... The, the only thing I was thinking about was just something simple, like if you do an all-out attack, you potentially get a bonus to your damage, but, you, but they also get a bonus to their damage. So whoever wins the roll gets the bonus. Mm. So it's a gamble in that sense. But I, I think yeah. I prefer the Elthane's idea, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You win. Because I was going to go with, like, everybody deals damage to everybody, and that's it. Because also, it makes it more unlikely that you want to go on an all-out attack when you, when you have multiple opponents. Hmm. Everybody's going to be hitting you at static difficulty one. Unless... The oh, Elthane's is back. The problem is with dodging in that case, though. Yeah, now I would argue that if someone is dodging and someone else is doing an all-out attack, mm -hmm. that if the dodge beats, if the number, the, the, they wouldn't take all the damage. If someone is purely oh, no. fully defense and someone is purely fully attack, I would probably say that you would yeah, just roll you, as normal. you do as a normal. It's like if someone is do, doing an all-out attack and dropping their defenses to get a, a hook on someone who is completely dodging, well... I would I I would say that if you're in all on attack, then you win on a tie. Instead of being the guy, because if you're oh, dodging, yeah, yeah. if you're dodging, you win on a tie. Like usually, yeah. if there's a tie, everybody hits each other. Mm. If there are tie, if there are tie and you're dodging, you win. And, and if the guy is dodging and you go like, you know what, I want to win the ties, I'm gonna go in into yeah. an all out attack because that that exposes yeah. you. I, I could I can get down with that. So thank you. Elfans. Thank you very much. Very good. We'll be incorporating that into Blood on the Tamasis. And Severn. Coming to you <laughs> in a stream near you. So this is probably a neat segue into talking a bit about the kind of the future. So obviously we live in, in kind of uncertain times at the frozen. moment. Oh, it's frozen, but it's back. Oh, no, We're it's good. Back. We're good. Yeah, we live in uncertain times at the moment, and uh, obviously we've postponed the season finale of season two for Blood and Tamases. Depending on how long it looks like things are going to pan out, we will either just reconvene when we're able to and do it as normal, or we will run it on a slightly different format once we've got everyone set up um, in the relevant place to do so. But more news on that in the future. In terms of what we're going to do in the immediate future, 
we've mentioned that um, one of the really cool things when Kirsty came to visit recently was that she was able to play as a guest in, in the stream and that was really nice. And we figure that this is, you know, because we're going to have to run games with people dialing in, it, it presents us actually with a, a weirdly unique opportunity where we're not limited by geography at this point. Um, and therefore, wherever you are, potentially, you could get involved if you would like to. So the announcement basically is, come on, come on. We are going to be playing for the next, well, at least next week to see how <laughs> how we fare. Yeah, yeah. Because we have to keep in mind, this is something like the if the tech is being done, if the camera is moving a lot, it's because Peter and I are putting it in what is not our usual setting. Yes. We're doing things to, for the first time in this format. Live and uncut. Yeah. So basically, um, next week, we're going to try and have a virtual session the way that is it's something that it was a really difficult decision to come uh, to come to uh, initially, because I, I believe one of the things that I like the most and um, and and I felt it felt very unique about Blood and the Thames and then now Blood and the Tamesis and Severn and, and all of our watches and products is that we are a group of people that are playing on the same room. Yeah. Unlike the, I don't want to say the totality, but the vast, vast majority of streamers out there doing tabletop RPGs are people using technology to their advantage, which is quite cool. But I think I've always felt that having everybody in the room and, and, and interacting in the same physical space added a, a, a little bit of... yeah. A different atmosphere to our stream. I'm I'm sort of old enough to rant about pen and paper and actual physical dice. I'm not going to get into. We're not going to go there because I'm not that drunk yet. But it does. It, yeah, it's one of the things that we like the most about it, and it's a shame not to have it. But having said that, given that we can't have it, we might as well roll with it and and have some fun. So our idea is to just have normal normal style sort of. Um, role-playing games. Uh, yes, body language is very important. And uh, and what we're going to try is for next week to play a session of Blood on the Severn. I have ideas for three, at least three uh, sessions in different times, in, in, in different points in time in the history of Bristol. So we're not going to be playing Blood on the Severn modern era we're going to be playing um blood on the severn i think the year was 1650 1653 Three or 1877, which was uh, during the the Victorian era and the Industrial Revolution era in Bristol, and last last but not least, uh, in seven in the 1740s when the slave trade and the sort of the pirate era was at its height in Bristol. Now for the cool part. No, well, I was going to say so. Uh, if you want to be involved in this whether you're watching us live or YouTube or podcast or what have you, if you're hearing this now and you're thinking, hey, cool, I'd like to play in one of those games, then what we would like you to do 
is head over to our Discord, where at some point in the very near future, Mitch will be putting a special channel for, I like to call it Carlos and the One Shots, because it sounds like a cool <laughs> band, you know? Um, so where Carlos and the One Shots will exist, where people can get together, they can talk about maybe ideas they've got for characters, they can talk about their availability over the next few weeks. The plan is to stream this at our usual time on a Monday, so 7 p.m. UK time. And yes, you heard it right. I want to play with you guys. I'm <laughs> gonna give uh, the disaster ghouls and, and of course our players uh, the, 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 the first choice, but it would be very interesting uh, for any disaster ghouls who would like to be um, in, yes, the, the hatchet will be a, a feature in in, uh, in Bristol, MC Vert, so definitely don't worry about it. And um, I would like to, to know uh, which which one of the one shots would you, if you have any preference, because each of them have a, a very different feel. Uh, one of them is an all Camarilla one, the other one is an all Anarch one, and the other one is an all Autarkis or independent one. So I'm trying to get, at the very least, three, ideally four players uh, to, to have these uh, sessions. And uh, anyone who would like to join or anyone who has ideas, please pop over to the Discord. I have been granted access, access to that one chat room of the Disaster Ghouls. I this, have, this was very shocking for all of us. I, I wanted more. They didn't let me. But it's okay. I, I, can, I can be happy with that. Uh, just, it would be a very interesting way of narrating the history of kindred society throughout the eras and then how come it is the way it is today. But also there is the potential of some of those characters, PCs and SPCs, making it all the way to the modern era so we can see them in Blood on the Severn. Yeah, so this is a really nice idea that the things that you do in those one-shots can impact the world of the next Chronicle. Absolutely. And that those characters might reappear in that next Chronicle. Because so we've always tried to, you know, back from Blood on the Thames, have this thing where people in the Disaster Ghouls can have a, an impact on the story in one way or another. And this is kind of a way to start doing that right from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is a schedule initially for the for the weeks of the 30th of March, 6th of April and 13th of April. Um, unless news change around here and say yeah. that things need to be done differently. Uh, ideally after those three weeks, uh, three, four weeks, we would like to see if this is a format that works for us yes. maybe. Because this is a situation in which, in all seriousness, we don't know how long it's going to last. And mm. even though we're not in quarantine here in the UK, unlike yes. in other countries, um, we have been, I have been instructed to work from home. Uh, only key personnel and yeah. key uh, workers are uh, encouraged to show up and everybody else is encouraged to stay home. But in other countries, the situation can, can be uh, much, much more yeah, serious. Yeah. So there is the very real possibility that if, if we manage to get our heads around the tag and if it's in, in something that we feel comfortable with, at the very least, try and bring uh, Blood on the Tamasis final episode digitally. 
yeah. uh, which is not what we want to do. We would like to um, do it as per our usual format, but at least these these will allow us both to create more content for the um, yeah. Blood on the Severn stream, to engage a lot more with the Disaster Ghouls because it's going to be you guys playing this. Yeah. And, and to for us to test the tech because I feel like we can be very open about this. For yeah. us to test our limits and the and, and, and the equipment that we have and the capabilities yeah. that we have to provide you with the highest quality stream that we are able to. So I don't know. So yes, we are now under formal lockdown. When did that happen? Probably like right now. Oh uh, yeah. So if you are interested in playing um, Clever people will realize this means you, we, in theory, be doing this in seven days' time. That means that we need, to, we need to move relatively quickly on this. So do kind of get in with your ideas sooner rather than later so Carlos has got time to, to look at who wants to be involved and try and make those, match those dates, make the groups up. It will also require you to do a technical rehearsal as well because we'll need to make sure that everything works and everyone can hear each other and, and the audience can hear all of you and so forth before we stream on the Monday. So it's most likely uh, a test this Sunday. Yeah. Before next Monday's stream. Yeah. If you have no idea of what sort of character you would like to, like if you have no, no character concept in your head, but you say, hey, I would really, really like to be on that um, English Civil War um, um, one shot or the one in the more of like the slave trade and and pirates or the one in the industrial revolution victorian era you know back end of the belle epoque and uh, don't worry about it i got you covered i have a few uh pre-generated spcs ideally i would like to populate bristol with your ideas so let them fly see you on the discord Cool. So I think I think I think we covered everything. I think we covered everything. So if anyone has any questions we didn't answer because we missed them, or You're, things you just want us to answer right now, this is your moment to throw a question into chat. Um, aside from that, thank you all for hanging out. It's been a joy. And Cong Sumgurk for winning. Congratulations. There. So Sumgurk can yes. go to Oxfordshire, talk to can go and talk to the prince. To, yeah. You can take this coin to Alcott. To the gatekeeper and say, look, I've done it. And to the herald. And to the herald. And the herald will say, hmm. Very good. <laughs> and um, and yeah, and then you can go and chat to the prince and go from there. Do obviously let us know where you would like us to send this to, and we'll get it obviously postal service allowing to you as soon as we can. Oh, oh, I see a question. How do you handle discipline bonus for presence, potence, fortitude, etc. from blood potency? That was, that was where I was going. This is a conversation we have had many times. So the blood potency bonus to disciplines, it says it's a bonus for using and resisting disciplines. Yeah. So uh, right out of the bat, that gives you an answer for fortitude. If yeah. you had fortitude two, uh, sorry, fortitude one unswayable mind, Fortitude one already adds to your to your pulls to resist disciplines, presence and uh, and dominate and the like. Yeah. So immediately goes to think um, it, it'll help you resist that discipline. So you add that bonus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! <laughs> I found a way to to make to, it to mess with the camera. To mess yeah. with the camera. Uh, you immediately can use your bonus from 
uh, blood potency and put it into your fortitude. Now, it does add... It does, it's, it's for all of them. To all, everything that has dice. Yeah, so... Important. Everything that has dice associated with it. So things like potence does not give you dice. Well, potence to prowess. So prowess it will add to, for example. So yes. pr prowess will give you your potence rating in additional damage in, in melee combat or half of it rounded up in... Sorry. Uh, your, your potence in, as additional damage in brawls on us in yeah, on our yeah. combat half rounded up on melee and you add it as dice for feats of strength yeah if you add it as dice for feats of strength your veins your blood, blood potency, potency bonus, bonus does yeah. add yes uh if it's for things like dominate or presence yep uh Bing. it adds if it's presence one or and you add your presence to your persuasion or performance roles Bing. Boom, you add it. So everything that has a roll, a die rolling component yes. to it. Is that... I think that's covered. That, that cover your... He said drunkenly. Uh, let's see. Favorite song right now. Go. Oh, I don't know. Um, something like... Always look on the bright side of life, probably. Oh, my God. I'm going to go <laughs> with um, Wasteland by 10 years. Uh, alternatively... Going on much, yeah, was it? No, something Japanese. Forget it. Let's go with 10 years. Um, 10 years, Wasteland. Yes. That's a good one. Um, oh, Kirsty said she's going to give us a chance to request some fan art. Yes, definitely. When I am clear of mind, I will have a look and we'll request some fan art of you. Thank you, Kirsty. Also, I read that she said at some point that since we very much liked the Strutwafel liquor, she's now gonna have to bring more to bristol and i think the answer to that is absolutely yes yes you do have yes. to but don't worry we'll hold you whenever to that. whenever you come to bristol you don't have to pay for a hotel or whatever you can stay here it's weird <laughs> i think phil said something but i can't read it strange yeah like here's your squiffy blurred. peter the moment in episode <laughs> 10 where joanne kills velvet it could happen i mean, <laughs> I mean uh, well, who could say? Who can say what will happen in episode 10, apart from me? Um, and I'm not going to say anything. All right, so, are we, so I think we are pretty much done. So we're going to do, um, because we're tech limited, we're going to do a live outro for yeah. you. <laughs> Eventually um, we'll create outros for this. And then when we finish that, there'll be a sort of a fairly abrupt cut as we finish. Elthane's asks, is the duel going to happen in episode 10? Theoretically, I have been known to not get to where I think I'm going to get to and fit <laughs> things in occasionally in sessions. But yes, um, the duel is coming very soon, actually. Um, so it's very likely to happen in episode 10. Carlos, favorite element of the periodic table and why? Platinum number 78 is uh, one of the rare metals that is also very good for catalyzing hydrogen from its diatomic form into a molecular form for hydrogen fuel cells. There are other elements to it, numerologically speaking, but then I would feel like awfully old. But it's my favorite element, platinum. <laughs> yes. That, if you're finding out today that I'm a nerd, Lane, 
I got quest. I, I got I got news for you. So. Okay, so thank you very much for joining. It's been really yeah, good. Been I nice think I out. think if we do this five more times a week, we might get the hang of it. Yeah, by we're, getting there. we're getting there. I'll also be an and, alcoholic. Uh, also, yeah, <laughs> well, we, we ran out of Stroopwafel, but in Peter's defense, no, he's almost done with his second well, I've mask. always finished my second. Look at his face. Look at this face. <laughs> uh, can we please do this next time with rum? I'm yeah, we can do a rum. I can do anything, to be honest. And well, <laughs> anything that's vaguely sort of sweet, I guess. I can do a piña colada for you. Yay. So, Done. thank you very much for joining us. Thank Remember, you. join the Discord and go into the Carlos and the One Shots or Bristol or however Mitch is going to call the channel uh, if you're interested shots. in being a part of yes. Blood on the Severn. And, uh, and obviously we'll see, hopefully, some of you on this side of the camera, as it were, on Monday. So, until next week, this is us saying goodbye preemptively. Yes. While we right. as we go to the live outro, live okay. outro. Are okay. you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Hit it. Thank you very much to all our wonderful followers, patrons, and subscribers: Aiden Keefe, Alicia, Alter Mirage, Amazon Balance, Angarad, Bjornsson Prime, Sedar Wim Menagello, Christina Buchanan, Cricket, Daniel Davis. Avenger Brotherson, Elf, Elf Ains, Frassy Sass, Galaxy Heartbeat, Hida, Imsivert, KT Magnus, Kirsten Van Verven, Laurentis, Locutis, Lyra, Manuk, Michael Mullen, Mason Risson, Potato Hollow, oh no, Potato, yeah, Potato Hollow, um, Rachel Phoenix 85, Roglor Mash, Sir Peabody, Shadow Gamer 264, <laughs> The Nerd of Verity and the winner of our, of our giveaway, Sumgurg. We love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can stop recording as well. <laughs>